Yeah. Whatever. You're listening to Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Brutally honest sports talk. And now, here is Mike Jansen. As we were uh, in uh, in a timeout, if you will, between episodes 535 and 536, I was made aware that, uh, and going back to our previous episode, that I had said that this could be, and I envisioned potentially that this being the last game that we see Giannis Antetokounmpo in a Milwaukee Bucks jersey. Well, at the end of the third quarter between the Bucks and the Heat, the Bucks are down by four, and that's not too bad considering that Giannis re-injured the ankle and he's been ruled out since back in the first half. So uh, I think the chances are now greatly enhanced that this could be the last game that we see Giannis Antetokounmpo in a Milwaukee Bucks uniform as we welcome you to this 536th episode of Unscripted. Chris over there, hi. Um, we haven't been together since July 28th, so it's kind of nice to see Chris. It's kind of nice to talk again. A lot of things have happened for the both of us um, during this little hiatus, um, but uh, there's still a ton of things to talk about, and I want to start. We kind of uh, ended 535 talking a little bit about it, but um, I want to talk a lot in this uh, 536th episode about the ongoing National Hockey League playoffs. We're down to four teams left, two in Toronto, two in Edmonton. And I also want to talk about the bubble scenarios. And I also take a brief look at week one in the National Football League. Um, We don't know right now, to be honest with you, we don't know what each of our schedules are going to be like. So we'll make a pick uh, in regard to the Thursday game. But... I'm out of town on business late next week, and I don't know exactly if I'm going to get back in time to be able to get together and make our picks for the Sunday games for the National Football League. So again, if there's a chance, I will do it. Chris has my word on that. Uh, If I get back from Winnipeg, and if it's the middle of January, nobody really wants to go to Winnipeg for a long stay, but uh, this is part of my new duties as we're building a 100-unit multifamily building in Winnipeg. And the following week, I'll be in Kelowna, British Columbia, as we're getting ready to launch a building in Kelowna, British Columbia. And by this time next year, we'll have three buildings ongoing. And the third one is going to be, how close was your hometown to Regina? Uh, 184 kilometers. I'll be 184 kilometers away from Chris's original hometown in Saskatchewan as we're putting a uh, proposal together and getting the documentation and getting our permits and all that stuff that you need ultimately to get it issued for construction in Regina, Saskatchewan. So I will, as part of this new job, I will be spending a lot of time on the road. And um, so again, I will, again, I've told Chris this, and uh, when I am available, I'll make myself available, and I'm going to try to shoot together at Chris's place for next Saturday, but uh, everything is dependent on uh, what happens Thursday and Friday in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Um, Let's start, as I keep saying I wanted to talk about, was the ongoing National Hockey League playoffs. As I said, we're down to four teams. In the East, in the Toronto bracket, if you will, you'll have the New York Islanders making their first trip to the conference finals since 1993. That was the year I got married. That's 27 years ago. Considering those great teams of the early 80s that won all them cups, 
with Bossy and and uh, yeah, my four God, four in a row. Yeah, four in a row. Oh, geez, John Tanelli and I mean, the, and Denny Potvin Dennis and Potvin. Billy Smith. My God, the, the, the Al Arbor is the coach. I mean, it just sounds like you're walking down a corridor of the Hockey Hall of Fame in downtown Toronto. And then there, obviously, will be challenged by the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are, you know, this was, and I was, I was talking to Chris via text yesterday. I was out in Turner Valley, Alberta. That's where this business is. And, and um, I was out there walking yesterday. I was supposed to play golf, but the back was a little sore, so I decided not to. But I'm out taking a walk, and we were talking about going back to um, we, Chris and I, this is back in February, and I don't remember what number, but there was a rumor back in February that John Cooper, was in a little bit of trouble <laughs> in Tampa Bay because, you know, you come off the monster season from last year, 134 points or whatever it was, 62 wins and just unbelievable numbers, the best numbers since some of those great Canadians teams back in the day. And ultimately they got tossed in the first round for love, just unceremoniously just just got just got totally disrespected by Tortorello and the and the Tortorella and the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets, but then this year starts and obviously there's a little bit of a hangover. Tampa Bay got off to a bit of a slow start, and when Chris and I were together in February on this particular episode, we were talking about that there was some noise that somebody and maybe this was just a plant. Who knows? You you really don't know what the media folks. Having been a media member at one time, half of the stories we tell are just bullshit because we're trying to get as many clicks or viewerships or whatever so there was a rumor going around in the tampa area that the ownership group and i don't know who who owns the the tampa bay lightning some rich guy and um there was a rumor that tampa bay was looking at the possibility of making a change at their head co- head coaching position okay that's that's ludicrous for two reasons first of all john cooper is a solid solid hockey man solid hockey coach um you do as well as they did in 19 and then you get unceremoniously dumped like what happened to them in the first round of the playoffs. And it happens folks, you come in and you're not, you know, and some people probably blame John Cooper because he didn't have them prepared or didn't have them, whatever. That's all bullshit. The coach can only do so much guys. It's the guys that have to go out on the ice and execute the game plan. That's who you blame. And they did not have a good four game run, obviously in the first round of the playoffs last year against the blue jackets. But somebody was throwing out the rumor that maybe Tampa Bay would want to make a change with their head coaching position. And it's like, are you guys just dumb as dirt? John Cooper is a quality guy. I think Tampa's on a mission. As much as I think, and and I'll state it again, as I said at the end of 535, that I believe having Barry Trotz on your bench is worth at least one or two victories to your team in a seven-game series, and I'll stand by that regardless if they're playing Tampa or they're playing the reincarnation of the greatest Montreal Canadian teams ever. When they, when our friend, not our friend, but the guy that we talk about a lot, Andre Richard, wins 11 cups, and I mean, just unbelievable how dominant those teams were back then. But I truly believe that this is going to be an unbelievably interesting series between these two teams, Two good coaches. Trots a little bit better, obviously. I love Barry Trots. I just have a man crush on Trots. Um, this is a team that lost their best player in free agency a couple of years ago to the Toronto Maple Leafs, and they've gotten better. How does that happen? 
Well, two things. First of all, he went to Toronto, so that's one thing. And the second thing is Barry Trotz came on board, and as Chris said, he should never have been asked to leave Nashville. And you go back to when he won the Cup a couple of years ago in 18 with the Washington Capitals. I bet the owner of the Capitals, and I can't remember his name, he also owns the basketball team in the Washington, D.C. area. Ted Leonsis? Thank you. God, you're good. Um, Doesn't matter. Six weeks off, Chris is still on top of his game. (laughs) Ted Leonsis, that's exactly right. I bet you even terrible Ted would tell you that he wishes he had Barry Trotz back because they bring in Todd Reardon. Todd Reardon just put his $6.5 million home in Virginia on the block because he just got fired. Um, It would be really difficult, I would think, to follow Barry Trotz. (laughs) And I think Todd Reardon found that out in Washington as the coach of the Capitals. I really see that as an interesting series. I'm looking forward to it. But I got to tell you, folks, the one that I'm really looking forward to is the Vegas Golden Knights and the Dallas Stars for two reasons. A, I hate Dallas. B, I love Vegas. And I think Vegas, that beautiful hat, I got to get me one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, I really believe that Vegas, well, they obviously were in the 18 Stanley Cup Finals. And I believe without the help of the referees in Game 7 in Round 1 against San Jose in 19, if everything goes to plan, I truly believe that Vegas would have made a, a serious run to be in the Stanley Cup Finals in 19 as well. And now they've got a chance to get back there in 2020. And I think... Dallas is a good team. Um, You know, they beat Calgary in round one. Big deal. I could put seven guys together and beat Calgary, especially on a line that has Monaghan and Goudreau on it, but, and a goaltender that played above his capabilities in in Cam Talbot, but in the end was limited. Um, I think Dallas may have shot their you-know-what in beating, in getting past Colorado. Mm. I truly believe Colorado was a better team. Um, Dallas maybe surprised them a little bit, but Colorado, I still think they're top 25 against Dallas's top 25. Colorado wins seven out of 10 times. I truly believe that. Having said all that, I am really looking forward to seeing the Western Conference finals in Edmonton between Vegas and Dallas. And I'm really, really, really looking forward to a Stanley Cup finals in Edmonton about three weeks from now which I believe will have the Tampa Bay Lightning against the Vegas Golden Knights. And who would have thought, again, going back, let's say, even 20 years, that you'd have two teams battling for Lord Stanley's Cup and their home bases are Las Vegas, Nevada, and Tampa, Florida. I just can't believe that. Well, as I've said this for a long time, uh, and you'll remember it right even when we were starting Unscripted three years ago, uh, I thought that Las Vegas should have had at least two or three of the big four teams uh, many, many years ago. It was just this outdated uh, gambling stuff they were worried about. It, as if, like, no mobster in New York is a threat, but they are in Vegas. Like, it's, right. it's like, come on, get, right. get serious. Get so life, boys. I, I, was, uh, I was cheering for this for a long time. Vegas is over 2 million people. It's a real city. It's the only top 50 market without uh, any, that didn't have any... At the time, uh, yeah. yeah. Any, any big four representation. And now, of course, uh, they do. And uh, just, you know, and now they've got two teams finally, which is great. That's going to be exciting. Love that. And I'll always cheer for Vegas teams over pretty much anyone except the Edmonton Oilers uh, in pretty much any sport. So I'm very happy for them. Uh, With your comment about John Cooper, yeah, I think we are pretty emphatic when this came up months ago that uh, John Cooper is a great coach and fire. I mean, I know that everyone's 
Yeah, he got an itchy trigger finger when it comes to firing guys, especially with the continued success of the Vegas Golden Knights. Oh, well, they can be good right away. How come we have to suck for 20 years or 30 years or however long? Right. Right. And so um, they just, uh, yeah, that would have been just a disaster. And we said that at the time. And uh, we've been proven right here again as John Cooper continues to do a great job as well. So it doesn't really matter to me who makes it from the East, but obviously I'm cheering for Vegas. And there's you could make the case, like they were close to winning the Cup you know, both year, both of their first years. Imagine if they'd won the cup the first three years they existed. I mean, it's just like just their their success they've had is amazing. But still, still, but see, that still pisses me off to this day that they got rid of Gerard Gallant. Oh yeah, for sure. It still bothers me yeah, I, because I, I still hate that. you know we we sat there for the first I don't know the first year, first year and a half of their existence, and all we talked about was Bill Foley, and we talked about. Uh, the guy that used to be in Washington, um, George McPhee, George McPhee. And they talked about, um, you know, Gerard Gallant and what a great team supposedly they, they made as the, as the, the, the centerpieces of the Vegas golden Knights. And then a guy who in his rookie campaign, the first season, the inaugural season of the Vegas golden Knights, and they win 51 games and make it to the Stanley cup finals. And the best previous to that had been the 1993 reincarnation if you will or whatever the inception of at the time the anaheim mighty ducks won 31 games you beat that by 20 games and you make it all the way to the stanley cup finals and then the next year when he was fired they were three points out of first place in the pacific division and that's bullshit yeah that is bullshit and i have had trouble i listened to that episode again yesterday i i still obviously have trouble because i think there's something. There's either something that we don't know that has been kept in-house in Vegas in regard to the hierarchy of the Vegas Golden Knights. There's something that Pierre, uh, excuse me, uh, Gallant did, Gerard Gallant did, that he wasn't supposed to do. Big no-no. Maybe he got caught with Lamar Odom out in Pahrump. I don't know. <laughs> but whatever he did, they've kept it in-house because it just seems unfathomable to me of everything that Gallant did to get that team to where they still are today, it's unbelievable to me that he isn't behind the bench of the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, it has to be something we don't there's know. Something I, that, I mean, I mean, because if it's not, if they just thought that that wasn't good enough, the greatest start ever in the history of professional sports worldwide, right. probably. I don't know right. of anything that would even come close to that as a start for a brand new franchise. Uh, yeah, it's just, and you just know, inexcusable, especially for DeBoer. Like if Barry, yeah, you if know, you're going for Barry Trotz, that's one then, thing. Then but then if you're going it, for yeah. Pete DeBoer, put a gun to your own head. You know, a guy that already the fan base didn't like had made fun of uh, of uh, Vegas before, and it was kind of just a really of all people. And yeah, he, and he's just kind of considered a clown anyway, and yeah. a, a weird looking dude. And yeah, so I mean, I'm happy for Vegas fans and guys on the team that they're doing well still yeah, yeah. uh but i don't know i don't know if deborah has actually done a good job or not or maybe they're just coasting on the great setup that they did have originally but uh i, I kind of hate to see deborah win but that's not going to be enough to stop me from no for no Vegas, no no so. me either but still i can still be disappointed in yeah, that because i think i think that gerard gallant deserves better than that for damn sure once you start talking about the national hockey league especially the postseason you start talking about the con smite. And um, this is how much I've learned over the last three years from obviously the man here sitting across my kitchen table, but not only that, Ryan and Greg and uh, our Northwest Bureau Chief, <laughs> Sean Dode. 
um, how much I've learned, but, um, and I appreciate everything from all these people made me a better person and made me a better broadcaster, if you will. Well, maybe not. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, I never did get fired by Ron Barr. So, you know, he's such a, a pillar in the community. Um, but I've got a vote here for the Con Smythe winner. And, um, this is a guy that I think I really watch this guy a lot, obviously during the Calgary series, because I have, I live amongst a bunch of Calgary Flames fans. So I get to watch that inept hockey team, um, led by the overpaid and undersized Johnny Goudreau. Um, sorry, dear, but it's truth. Um, but I really like this kid's game. This kid is a 21 year old kid forward for the Dallas Stars. And if Dallas somehow does get by Vegas, usually they give the consmite to the team, a player from the team that wins the Stanley Cup. So if Dallas does the miracle and gets by not only Vegas, but then gets by, I think, the Tampa Bay Lightning to win their second Stanley Cup in Dallas, my vote for the consmite winner would be uh, Miro Heskinen. hope I'm saying that right, but I sure like his game. He's got an unbelievable great set of hands. He's a lot faster than I think that than people think that he is. He gets up and down the ice almost effortlessly. He's not as fast as our guy Connor McDavid, but my God, the kid makes plays. Again, a great set of hands. And the way that he can move that puck around, I'm very impressed by this young man. And I don't know where he comes from, but the uh, management team of the Dallas Stars did a hell of a job getting this guy and the smartest thing that they could do, I would think, would be getting this kid's name on a contract for a long, long time in Dallas. Yeah, no one expected Dallas to go this far, I don't think, and they did really well, and they're still doing really well, I guess, technically. Uh, I don't expect them to be Vegas or anything, but I guess you never know. Uh, you know what? I was actually talking to our, our Vancouver or Pacific Northwest. Pacific Northwest, yeah, there you go. Idea. Yeah, Pacific Northwest Bureau Chief Sean Dode, uh last night, and... Uh, we were talking about that amazing run of Vancouver, and I thought the neatest thing, like you can't have them win, but just as a token nomination, the neatest thing would be to nominate Thatcher Demko for the Conn Smythe. Mm-hmm. Played three games, yep. completely one-sided in favor of Vegas in all three, and he won the first two and nearly pulled it out in the third. They didn't score on him till, right. you know, and, and not only were they just peppering him with shots, but I mean, uh, Vancouver in game seven, in a game seven, Vancouver had three shots halfway through the game. <laughs> and like it was just it was like 23 to 3 at one point in shots or something silly. And uh, in the in like the first two games Demko played where they won, uh they were outshot, you know, like 48-23 in one of them and the other one was similar. Like they're just getting like doubled in shots and it's not even close. There's it's no there's no question over which was the better team there and it was clearly Vegas. But he almost had them win, which would have just been ridiculous. That would have been in a in a different way, uh, another just rip off for Vegas and their fans if they would have been eliminated by right. Vancouver there because they were obviously the better team overall. No question. But uh, you know, and it, and it's weird hearing about uh, Markstrom. It looks sounds like he's been uh, in line for a big payday in Vancouver as their starting goalie when Demko looked so good. Uh, I just think it would be neat if you had the Con Smythe where you have you know the winner and then you nominate someone else and then the third nominee with no chance of winning but just put him on there just say Thatcher Demko played three games 
in a, in, you know, went two and one, was eliminated, and uh, you know, was nominated for the Smythe. I just think that would be a really neat gesture and a cool story, even if it will never ever happen. What did uh, Sean think overall? I know you guys probably talked about this, but what did he overall think of the Canucks season? Well, pretty good. I mean, they're they're they getting. Did, a, I think they did better than people thought they, they would. They did. Yeah, they're getting exciting, and the, and you and some of the things turned out like uh, JT Miller, like you talked about JT Miller on this program, right? When we had him on and. And some of that stuff worked, and some of these young guys are really exciting. Obviously, EP40, obviously Quinn Hughes looking good. We hate to see Benning looking good, but, I mean, the team's working well. And, I mean, but even with how good they did going into the Vegas series, like with the whole season of the playoffs up to that point, uh, Sean texted me and said, well, Vegas is going to sweep them. Yeah. Like, you well, know, yeah. And, and, you know, and based on the shot totals, that probably is a, you know, a, a likely result a lot of the time when these two teams face, but... Uh, Demko just yeah. uh, was just lights out, and that happens every year. There's someone, not not usually a rookie, but somebody gets hot in the in the crease, and uh, it was Demko this time, and that would have been quite something if they yeah. would have pulled it out. Because I think Dallas is quite beatable, so I mean, you could have Vancouver in the Cup final uh, quite easily, and and Vancouver has never won a cup. And I, I have to say, like I don't get all raw raw Canada. I'm not that excited about any Canadian team outside the Oilers winning. I mean, I, I'd, get, I'd be pretty happy for Winnipeg, um, Montreal. I don't care, Ottawa, whatever. Um, but, yeah, I wouldn't, I'm not that excited. But I am tired of the whole, oh, it's been since 1993 since a Canadian team won the Cup when all these teams are mostly Canadians. It's, it's just that's kind of annoying. I kind of want that to go away. That would be nice. And, you know, Vancouver never having won a Cup, I don't know. I just... I, I, they were annoying for a long time when the Sedins made them really right. relevant for a long time. Yeah. But I just, I don't really hate them long-term like I do the Flames. So I just, uh, I mean, if they won one, it would be okay. Like, I, I don't really like seeing most franchises never having won a cup ever in their right. whole history. That's not really a lot right. of fun. Well, think about it this way, though. Dallas is definitely beatable. Because remember, in their first-round series against the Flames, the Flames were 11 seconds from going up 3-1 to one in that series. Mm-hmm. So, again, I think Dallas is beatable. Vegas is, is uh, the better team on paper and on ice. And I think, you know, if Vegas does go on and win their first Stanley Cup championship, I think you'd have to give real consideration to Mark Stone as the Conn Smythe winner in that regard. He has played some really good hockey for the Vegas Golden, uh, Golden Knights. And, and uh, I, just want, I just want Vegas. I just want Vegas. Yeah. And, again, wouldn't it be something – if you had, in a normal scenario, in a normal year, first of all, we wouldn't be playing the Stanley Cup, playing for Lord Stanley's Cup at the end of September, but in a normal year, wouldn't that have been something to see your two Stanley Cup finalists, one reside in Tampa, Florida, and the other reside in Las Vegas, Nevada? I mean, that is... And you know what? In a really, in a really kind of neat way, we got to give some tribute here to Gary Bettman. I mean, I think we've been very high in our praise in regard to Bettman and Bailey for the way they've handled things since the shutdown and, and what they've done and how they've pulled this off in Edmonton, Toronto with no more cases and yada, yada, and all this other stuff. But who would have had the, the foresight to put professional hockey teams in Tampa Bay and in Las Vegas? I mean, that's, and again, I think, in in one in a really weird way, we've got to give credit to the great one for what he did for hockey in Los Angeles when he got in the infamous when he was sold 
not traded, when he was sold. I've heard that from you for four years. I know what, I know what the word is. But when he was sold from Edmonton to, to L.A., a lot of that has to go to Wayne Gretzky too because Wayne Gretzky had to sell hockey in the Southland and he did it. And you see the teams that have come to the Southwest Corridor, if you will, of the United States and uh, have done pretty damn well. Um, I want to talk about this bubble as we say hello and welcome you to this 536th episode of Unscripted. Yeah, I got the number right. This bubble seems to have worked in the NBA. The bubble seems to have worked in the National Hockey League. I think it's the only way where you're basically sequestering teams. I really believe that. Um, They're finally, for some reason, I don't know why it just happened now, this late into the bubble, but they're finally allowing some families of the teams left in Edmonton and in Toronto. They're finally allowing some family members to come. The NBA has allowed the family members to come. But I was very disappointed to hear this week that the NBA did not allow the coaches' families to come. The players' families could come and visit, and they'd go and they'd they'd sit in their sequestered area until they got tested properly and that they could, you know, gain admission, if you will, into the bubble. But why in the hell would you signal out the coaches and not let the coaches' families come? I mean, Mike Malone, the very fine basketball coach of the Denver Nuggets, went on about a five-minute rampage in his media session when they came back from three games to one and eliminated the Utah Jazz in the first round of the playoffs, in the NBA playoffs, and he went on a five-minute diatribe about, okay, the players have been allowed to bring their families, which is right. The referees were allowed to bring one friend, whether it be your wife or your girlfriend or your mistress or whatever, one, but the coaches weren't allowed to bring anybody. Who the hell made that decision and where do you think that's coming from? I think that was stupid. Why wouldn't you let them, the coaches bring their, at least let the coach bring his wife or girlfriend or maybe boyfriend, I don't know, but why would you say yes to the players, some visitation for the referees, but none for the coaches? I have a problem with that. That's silly to me. That doesn't make any sense at all. I, you know, usually when I hear these things, I like to think, okay, well, let's look at it from everyone's point of view. Yeah. And, but I mean, even if you do that, like usually that's where it's clear. Like you, you talk to people all the time who only want to look at it from their side and like, okay, well, let's look at the other side. Okay. So this is why they're saying this, but geez, that one's, that one's silly, boy, man. I'm lost on that one. Um, Maybe Adam, Adam Silver lost a few points with me on that one. The only thing I could think of, and this it really doesn't sound like Adam Silver at all, but the only thing I could think of is I'm sure they would prefer not to allow any visitation. Oh, absolutely. Especially, it's like, we're getting close. Okay, guys, can you just tough it out a little longer? Let's finish off and you go home and that's it. Yeah. But maybe they're just so worried about, you know, because the players, they, they seem to just protest or just, you know, get upset at everything at the drop of a hat. I mean, LeBron wanted... The season shut down. Two weeks ago when this Jacob Blake thing happened and the Milwaukee Bucks, well, actually, as we discussed before we went on air, Fred Van Fleet of the Toronto Raptors, he kind of got the ball started on this boycott stuff after the Jacob Blake shooting in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And he talked to Jalen Brown of the Boston Celtics the Wednesday night before it actually happened. And or excuse me, the Tuesday night. And then on Wednesday, um, the Bucks were the first team on the floor, and the Bucks were the one that actually pulled the trigger. And the Bucks pissed some people off by not telling people what they were going to do. But really, I think we need to give the credit to Fred Van Fleet as the guy that actually started the dialogue in regard to these boycotts. But um, I just, uh, I, I'm, I was, 
really surprised, to be honest. But anyway, um, LeBron, there were two teams that voted. There was a big Wednesday night meeting where everybody that was in the bubble got in together in this big ballroom. So the players, coaches, even the referees were invited. And there were two teams that voted to end the season right now. The Clippers and the Lakers. They were going to just say, fuck it, we're going home. And I don't know what happened. Michael Jordan's got involved because Jordan can play both sides. He can play the player's side and he can play the owner's side, being the majority owner of the Charlotte Hornets. He's not a very good owner. He was a much better player. But he was the one that kind of talked the players down off of the ladder and telling them that you can get more done by playing these games instead of going home and just forgetting about it. But um, I, I still, to this day, am quite surprised that the NBA continued on, to be honest with you. I thought that LeBron's leadership, LeBron is the centerpiece. LeBron is the dragon's head. He is the guy that's running the NBA. He is the mouthpiece of the NBA. And I'm very surprised two weeks ago um, that they didn't shut it down because LeBron was all in. And he had Kawhi working with him. And he had Anthony Davis working with him. He had Paul George working with him. Chris Paul is a buddy of all theirs. And I'm very surprised that the NBA has gotten this far alone. Well, maybe you should give Al- Al- um, Adam Silver some um, more of those points back then for, for managing to help that, uh, you know, stay together. But look, if the deal was that if they shut down the NBA season, you'd solve racism in society, then I could see why they'd do it. But the fact is it wouldn't really accomplish anything. Agreed. And, and in, if anything, number one, you can do more by having eyeballs on your product and then they, you know, you hold up a fist or you whatever they do at the anthem or all these or they yeah. do shows of solidarity or they delay the game five minutes or whatever they do. At least there you can you want to raise awareness. It's, it's easier to do it when you're on TV than when you're not. Right. Right. And number two, if you really want to get people to your cause, pissing off sports fans isn't the best way to do it because there are a lot of people at home, um, you know, whether they're just uh, whether they would love to be able to do something to help racism or and they're just unable to just like the players themselves can't really do much except, you know, raise awareness. Right. That's about all they can really do. It's you know, there's, it's nice to have all these things. And I think we've got the awareness now. It's just how do we actually well, solve I think, anything? I think what we need to do, and this is I'm directing this at African-Americans in the United States, in the continental United States. <clears throat> and even. Even a person like me that can vote uh, through an absentee ballot. Folks, if you want change, and, and if we are true about wanting change, the best way that we can do that is when November 4th comes along, is make sure you get your name on a ballot. The only way that you can enact change is by voicing your opinion and getting your ass down to a polling station and put your name on a ballot and submit a vote. That's the only way that this can happen. I like the way that the NBA is doing this, where a lot of teams are now offering their arenas in these respective NBA cities for people to use those uh, facilities as polling stations. I think that's the only way that we can do anything. That's the only way that we can make change. And even people like me that are Americans living in in a foreign country, your vote can matter in something like this. When only 21% of the voting population submits a vote four years ago, or I don't know if I don't know if the number was that. I think that excuse me, I think the number was a little bit higher than that. The number was 21 
if I'm remembering correctly, it was only 21 of the regist 21 percent of the registered voters when a couple of years ago when they voted NDP in this province, only 21 oh, percent, yeah, yeah, yeah. only 21 percent showed up because I just thought, well, we had been under a conservative regime for 44 years. It's just going to roll over and, you know, screw the NDP. Well, the NDP screwed us and they continue to screw us, even though they're not in office. But I'll get off of that topic. The only thing that people can do to make your voice heard is by is by casting a ballot. So when November 4th comes along in the United States and for guys like me that are in international in an international country you can still submit a vote an absentee ballot ballot through Philadelphia do that that's the only way that we're going to be able to see change happen folks I swear to god Well um, vo- voting's really important and I would always espouse voting of course but uh, you know on this topic at least uh, I haven't seen a single politician or political party in the US uh, suggest anything that sounds like any sort of solution whatsoever at all. Like, and so, and I, I don't see why this so would anything would change. I mean, there are some people that might be better, like Andrew Yang or Tulsi Gabbard should have obviously uh, gotten the nomination. Other than poor Joe Biden, who it just looks inhumane that he even has to like be up there. Joe like, Biden. Just... Joe Biden is not the answer. The answer well, ultimately, I, I think. I think ultimately, this may sound funny, but ultimately, the the. Solution to the problem might be, I think her name is Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris. That might be the solution to the problem. Well, I mean, and the reason, we'll sorry, but the reason, again. the reason I say that is because I think Joe Biden to me looks like Dead Man Walker. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's and I don't think he makes it through four years no. as the president of the United States. I he'll be alive in four years. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's why I'm yeah. saying the, the most important person may be this lady yeah, Harris yeah. because she then will take the top job. She yeah. may be the most important person. Yeah, and that's what this is. I mean, Joe Biden was always a Trojan horse like Absolutely. this. Absolutely. Right? He just kind of, you know, use his name. And, and I mean, but I mean, Trump has that devastating ad where all he did is just show clips of Biden past and present. Oh, and that's know. all the ad is. He doesn't even say anything. It's just, oh, it's just like, here, and it's not even long ago. It's 2015, 2016. And Joe Biden, he looks like Ric Flair. Like he's, he's got the, <laughs> he does. He's got the, I mean, who Ric Flair also in the last four or five years has gotten a lot you know, uh, uh, older, shall we say. But, um, I mean, he's sitting there, he's joking, he's charismatic, he's got the, you know, the collar on, and he's got the glasses, and he looks all cool. And now he looks like he can barely talk or stay awake, and it's it's devastating, and it's too bad. But speaking of Andrew Yang, who deserved to win the nomination, but he's not a puppet of the organization, so right. he didn't win. Uh, last night, or the day before, was it last night only? He went on Twitter, and this is, so this is to tie it into sports, and he went off on Vince McMahon, which, you know, uh, Andrew Yang's already my favorite Democrat. <laughs> he gained a few oh, more points. He gained a few more points, oh, didn't man, he? Oh, man, he sure yeah. did. Um, <laughs> because because um, to tie this in with sports, Vince McMahon has always used this loophole to get away with a bunch of bullshit where he doesn't call the wrestlers employees. He calls them independent contractors. Yeah. But then he goes and then he treats them specifically like employees and not like independent contractors. And he came out the other day and said that he doesn't like the wrestlers using their real names and having YouTube shows and things like that. And it's like, and and then they tried to hint in there that like we own the rights to your real name, which is obviously bullshit. They can't do that. You can't have you can't you can't uh, employ somebody, especially as an independent contractor, and then say you own the rights to their real name. No, you don't. Right. And so. Um, so ever and and it was all really um, vague and everyone's like, what are they talking about? And a lot of people like they're not able to wrestle as much and have all these like untelevised shows. So they're like trying to make more money on their YouTube channels and things like that. And uh, so I mean, it's just a bunch of bullshit. And and Andrew Yang got in there and is like, hey, guess what? 
you know, either, you know, if we win, either I'm going to be the Secretary of Labor or I'm going to have his phone number and I'm and we're going to deal with this because all the wrestlers are too scared to talk out and yeah. lose their job. Right. So uh, I, I love that Andrew Yang Tulsi Gabbard's great too, but uh, Andrew Yang should have won the Democratic nomination. I could see him as a future president. I could see him in 2024, billionaire, knows business and uh, and is the real deal and follows sports, which is is really, really interesting. Very relatable guy. And uh, yeah, I mean, you want to say you're going to go after Vince McMahon, all the bullshit he's gotten away with for right. way too long. Right. Yeah, that's that's going to win me over even more. So uh, that's who they should have had instead of Biden in there. And, and it's too bad because uh, if if nothing else... You know how years ago when there was like Mulroney in Canada or Reagan in the States and they would have these amazing one-liners yeah. that would just just kill shot the debates yeah. and they would just like win the whole debate with one line? Yeah. I'm sorry, you're going to see that uh, again this year. Whether And it might not even be Trump saying something great. It might just be Biden just completely choking right. and Trump doesn't have to do anything. But uh, the debates this year are going to be... Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's going to be a bloodbath, and there's just no way around. Because I it mean, is. poor Joe no Biden question. is just there's something wrong Listen, with him. Listen, Biden isn't the answer. Yeah, he isn't the long term oh, answer. But I'm guy. telling you, right now, as a person that served his country, Trump says a lot of dumb things. I get that. It's part of his persona. I get it. But calling soldiers who died in war losers. Oh my! I have a hard. God. I would like to see the video. That's that oh one's. Oh my God! That one's a tough to believe. That one, um, if that is true, if it's true, that one's hard. That one's pushing my. If that is true, that should not only get him impeached, that should probably get him in front of a firing squad. I mean, that is, those are people that laid their lives and gave their lives for the betterment of this country that allowed him to be the billionaire that he is and the freedoms that we all enjoy were because of men and women that gave their lives. And that's obviously a very thing that's close to my heart, obviously, um, and always will be. But if that line is true, and I'm not saying it is, I'm hearing this secondhand and I have not heard the video clip. But if it is true, Trump should face some pretty serious allegations yeah. for that. That one, that one's tough for me to believe. I mean, some, well, sometimes it sounds like he's actually said it. That one's like, and it was from the Atlantic, which is like the most, you know, uh, well, unbelievable uh, publication. The it, only, you know. the only, the only uh, source that he even talks to anymore is Fox News, and they're about as reputable as me on a sheet of curling ice. So, well, the Atlantic's no uh, better. Well, I don't know the Atlantic that well, and I don't. I'm not going to comment on it. But uh, I don't want to get into this political thing. All I'm saying is that. If that comment is true, there needs to be some ramifications because those are people that are heroes. Those are people that gave their lives for what they believed in. And if, he's, and if I'm to believe that what he said was true, calling soldiers who died in war losers, there is no, there is no coming back from something like that. No, let's, let's get out of that because I'm going to get my blood pressure rolling and we're almost 40 minutes in, so we got to get out of here. But a couple of things that I wanted to get to. Um, NBA wise, not the bubble, not Milwaukee's last game with, uh, Giannis, but I was very surprised by the news on Friday. And I think this guy is qualified. Don't get me wrong. Two-time MVP, one of the best point guards that's ever played in the National Basketball Association from Victoria, British Columbia and Santa Clara University. Steve Nash was named the head basketball coach of the Brooklyn Nets. And supposedly, 
supposedly that was the choice of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. They wanted a guy that they could relate to, that was a good communicator, that has played at the highest levels. And I think that if you're taking those three things off your checklist, Steve Nash checks all three. And I think, though, unfortunately, as we're living in this Black Lives Matter, people aren't aren't congratulating Steve Nash for getting his first NBA coaching gig, and he hasn't coached at any level. And I don't think that matters because he has played for great coaches. And when you're a point guard, you're basically a floor general. You're the coach on the floor anyway. I think this is a great hire by the uh, Brooklyn Nets. But again, it's been kind of put in the back burner because there have been a bunch of people in the NBA circles that wish that uh, they had hired a qualified black man to be the coach of the Brooklyn Nets. They didn't hire, they didn't enter, supposedly they didn't interview anybody. They just went right. And the general manager, just so you know, uh, of the Brooklyn Nets happens to be a black man by the name of Sean Rooks. But I think they got their man. I think they've got a good man that's going to be patrolling the sidelines next year for the Brooklyn Nets. But unfortunately, it's getting overshadowed because here's a, a guy with no previous coaching experience anywhere. He, again, happens to be, a, what, a hundred-time NBA All-Star and two-time MVP back-to-back in the early to mid-90s. He was back-to-back MVP. But regardless of all that, people are still bitching because he's a white guy. Um, I'm not going to get into that right now. I don't think it's it's prevalent. I, I wish that we, I wish at least Brooklyn had talked to more than one candidate to make their look a, a little bit with this some legitimacy. But then you look at the NFL Rooney rule and that's just driven over with a fucking forklift all the time anyway. They get around it and through it and they give a token interview to an African-American and you know it's probably a four-minute interview. But, oh, we, we qualified the, the, you know, the, the, you know, we checked off the boxes. We interviewed a, a minority candidate. Bullshit. But anyway, I'm happy for Steve Nash and I'm actually happy for the Brooklyn Nets because I think they've got a good guy that's going to be working as the head coach for this basketball team. And I'm happy for Steve Nash, not only because he's a Canadian, but well, yeah, because he is a Canadian. And, and, uh, I think that's, I think that's, it was a surprise choice. So I did not know that Steve Nash was interested in being an NBA head coach. I didn't know that. Yeah, well, a lot of uh, high-level players like Wayne Gretzky wasn't a great coach. It's hard to get other people to do some of those amazing instincts you have. I think with Steve Nash, I always kind of got the impression that more than having like Wayne Gretzky-type instincts, he just really thought the game well, and obviously Gretzky did too. But, I mean, Steve Nash, I think, just really worked on his fundamentals and thought the game well, and I think that'll translate well to uh, coaching the players as well. And, of course, he's not that old, and he's... You know, I think he's one of the guys, and I think they'll really like him. And I think it's more comparable to, rather than like a Gretzky becoming a coach, I think I'd compare it more to uh, like a great goaltender or back catcher uh, becoming an analyst. Like, you know, they yeah. think the game, they see the game, they sit back there, right. you know, and Steve Nash as a, as a, as a, you know, sitting at the back would always be the one dribbling it out of the zone and, and right. going up. And he's always sitting back there and looking at the whole play and looking at it like a chessboard kind of a thing. And I think he's a, I think he's a great, uh, a great choice there. He's a really nice guy, relatable, smart, and just, just, a, you know, like how often do you think that a guy who's like not much over six feet from Vancouver Island is going to go and be a back-to-back NBA all-star or back-to-back NBA MVP, I should right, say. Right. Uh, unbelievable. 
uh, as far as the you know uh, the the racism stuff and the uh, and the Rooney Rule, the Rooney Rule just turns it into such a charade. Yeah, absolutely, I, I, it's a joke. I mean, I know it. The heart's in the right place there, but look, I have a hard time believing. I re- like this is really really hard for me to believe that there are organizations out there uh, in the Big Four in North America that are you know where there's some really where the best candidate is black and they think oh no we're gonna go with a white like i just i don't believe that's happening that is just ridiculous to think if there's anyone who's doing that i think it would get out that that's happening yeah you know if anyone's like well clearly this black guy is the best choice we're gonna go with number two because he's white boy that that would get out so fast oh yeah it well, really would, and it, no one would. Do, why would you do that? But don't you think? And I and I think you'll Jeez. agree with me. I think it's kind of it's kind of eye opening. Let's say, in the National Football League, where you got seventy three percent of your workforce mm-hmm. happens to be African American, mm-hmm. and and uh, black coaches in the NFL right now, Anthony Lynn in Los Angeles with the Chargers, um, Brian Flores, Brian Flores with That's the Dolphins. Awesome who's done a great job under unbelievably difficult circumstances working for Stephen Ross down there. But right off the top of my head, I believe they're the only two. I never, think I, any... I, I never think about it. Um, no, but I, right off certainly, the top of my there head. There certainly have been other ones. Yeah, well, for um, sure there have. plenty of other ones, but, but as of right this second. But I think that out of 32 teams, and right off the top of my head, you've only got two African-American head coaches. That does need to be rectified in the NFL. I will say that. Um, let's talk really quick as we're about to get out of here on this, uh, 536th episode of unscripted, uh, Thursday night, September the 10th. Uh, that is the opening game of the 102nd NFL season, the Houston Texans and the Kansas city chiefs will lace them up at Arrowhead stadium in Kansas city. According to the line that I got about a half, well, just before we went on air today, Kansas City comes into this game not only obviously as the defending Super Bowl champions, they come in as a nine and a half point favorite. Um, we do not know, as I mentioned earlier, what our schedules are going to look like. Uh, normally, on a weekend before, we would go through the games and pick our winners. And if we can get together next Saturday, we will do that. But right now, with my schedule being up in the air as much as it's seemingly going to be for a while, as we try to uh, funny as it's as we sit here on the 4th of September, I'm sitting here thinking how we're going to get these sites locked down for winter, and especially in Winnipeg, which is winter nine months of the year. So um, I'm going to be busy till pretty much the middle of November, and then uh, it should slow down until pretty much the middle of February. But having said all that, we will pick a, a, a winner. And... Um, uh, of this game, which again is Houston at Kansas City, Thursday night at Arrowhead, Kansas City's nine and a half point favorite. Sir, I'll let you go first because I think you were the winner last year between the two of us. We went uh, against the spread, um, straight up and against the spread, and then we always picked a uh, upset of the week. But this week we won't pick an upset of the week because it's not going to be an upset if Kansas City blows the hell out of out of Houston or whatever, but there's only one game to choose from, so we'll hold off on making an upset. That was my speciality last year, was picking yeah, the upset of the week. I was good on the upset well, of the week. Well, if you thought this was going to be one, you could technically use no, it. No, this isn't going to. Kansas City, in my opinion, Kansas City is going to wipe the floor with these Yeah, guys. and I agree with that. I'm, I'm going Kansas City both ways. I know it's the easy choice, and I, I don't like to you know discount uh, Deshaun Watson there. But uh, Kansas City Chiefs, and, and everyone worries about, oh, the Super Bowl hangover, but I'm not worried about that. I mean, Patrick Mahomes 
said that he didn't figure out defenses till halfway through last year, and he'd yeah. already won the MVP <laughs> the year before, <laughs> and then he goes on to win the Super Bowl. Oh, hey, this is how it works. Okay, yeah. uh, they're they're just they're so good. And you know, one thing that I really like as fantasy advice this year is take the Kansas City Chiefs defense in fantasy this year because usually you look for uh, you know teams that have a great defense, or you look at. Uh, or else you just kind of stream defenses every week. You kind of just pick up a defense that's got a good matchup or something against a bad offense or, you know, a quarterback who makes a lot of mistakes. But Kansas City uh, this year as a defense, I think it's a great pickup in fantasy. You have to draft them because they will go, even though they're not known as a great defense because teams are going to have to throw a lot to keep up with Patrick Mahomes. Right. And that's going to lead to mistakes. That leads to fumbles. That leads to interceptions. That leads to all sorts of mistakes. And uh, I just really think that's what's going to happen here. I'm not too concerned about the uh, Texans' defense here. I think that Mahomes is going to light them up. And uh, the only way they stay within 9.5 is in garbage time, as far as I'm concerned. And I just really like the Chiefs both ways. Uh, they're, they're fantastic. They've got, what, two more years of uh, Mahomes at an affordable rate. Right. Where, you know, like You want a team that's, that's all like in. That's like you and I were talking about, yeah. that they should load up for these next two years. Oh. Now, Andy Reid signed a six-year contract extension this week. So, oh, I didn't even see that. That's yeah, awesome. He, he signed a six-year contract because I had offered the opinion that I believe like they more, load up yeah. for two more years. Um, Andy is 65. Uh, two more years, he'd be 67. Potentially, they win at least one more Super Bowl. He goes out on the Grand Chariot. And goes into retirement. But now he signed a six-year contract extension. But I still believe they've got him under a suitable number for two more years. And then they go into that unbelievably large extension. So I think Kansas City loads it up for two years and uh, let them run. Let them run with it. And I think, you know, again, I, I really believe that two more years and then Andy quits. And then they start not rebuilding, but they start replacing a little bit here and there. And but. Who yeah, knows what they're yeah, going to not, do. not rebuilding, but uh, I mean, uh, all these teams that won with, you know, uh, cheap quarterbacks like the Seahawks and, and others, uh, they found out they like none of them have done anything. I think that Mahomes is on a whole other level from even some even like Russell Wilson. He's so amazing. I don't know. Uh, Mahomes, I think, is something like we've never seen. And it sounds like he's just getting started. Like he's yeah. not even in his prime yet. I know. And he's done uh, everything. Yeah. yeah. And so I think he uh, and again, they, they probably should have been. They probably should have won both the last two years of the Super Bowl other than that questionable offside call against yes. the Patriots yes. by one inch. So I, I like Mahomes here. And I, and I think they need to do anything. Like they should have been in the clowny sweepstakes. They should just be in everything, I think, just anything to win this year and next year. And then after that, you've still got Mahomes, if nothing else. And any team with Patrick Mahomes is going to have a chance to win. Yep. Uh, you know, they can like, have a couple other pieces and, and who knows what they'll do. But yeah, they need to be all in. And it starts this Thursday. And I think we're going to see... Uh, you know, a, a real exhibition of why Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the world. Agreed. Real quick, I've got two NFL questions, and then we'll put a wrap on this 536th episode of Unscripted. Real quick, were you surprised that Cam Newton... Now, I'm not surprised that Cam Newton won the quarterback job. Of course. That's... Of course. Okay. My next-door neighbor thinks that he's a big Patriots fan, and he believes that Jason Stidham should have been the starting oh, quarterback. Stidham? Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. But anyway, regardless of that... I'm not him being surprised at him being named the starting quarterback of the New England Patriots, but I was surprised, and I'd be interested in your comments on were you surprised that he was made a captain? Oh, wow. Oh, boy. That's an interesting question. I didn't even hear that he had been made a captain. He was made one of five captains for the team. 
for the team, I should say. Well, keep in mind that not only is there a big void to fill with Tom Brady going away and he was there for so long. So they're used to looking to the quarterback for real leadership. Right. And I mean, Bill Belichick is not exactly a player's coach. So, I mean, like you kind of want to have that. But keep in mind that the Patriots have way more players than anyone else, to my knowledge, that have opted out of the season. So you have a lot of those regular leaders right. not there either, in addition to Brady being gone. So I think when you take a guy who's, who's seen it all, he's played in a Super Bowl, he was first overall pick, you know, he's taken a team 15-1 and one before. Was an MVP. Was an MVP. Like, I, I mean, yeah. And, you know, he seemed a little weird lately since he became vegan, and I don't know if he's gotten away from that or what, but, you know... The Cam Newton we've seen most of the time, fun-loving, has a good time, gives the football to the kids yeah. after and wants everyone to do that. And, you know, he's, he seems like a pretty good guy. And so uh, he's got the resume. But, yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't even think about that. But I think with all the factors I said, I, 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 said, I think it makes sense. Okay, this is one that I'm interested in. I think you'll be interested with my choice of this. But as we go into this unprecedented... 102nd NFL season, no preseason games, no everything virtual in the offseason, no mini camps, no quarterback camps, no nothing. Do you, or who might be, and you know, who might be your surprise team from this upcoming season? Who is a team that's going to, you feel, might surprise us? We know Baltimore is going to be good. We know Kansas City is going to be good. We know the 49ers are going to be good. But where's a team out there? And we know, alternatively, you know, Jacksonville is going to suck. The Bears are going to be the Bears. Um, the Jets are still going to be the Jets. Give me a team out there that you think, and I'll give you one too. I've been thinking about this a lot. Give me a team that you think, right off the top of your head, is going to be a surprise team that's going to come up and maybe, you know, surprise a few people. If we get all the way to February and we get to Super Bowl 55 this year, who is the team? And I'm not saying this team is going to make it to the Super Bowl, but by the time we start on Thursday to the end of the season in February, where is a team out there in the 32 teams that you think is going to be a surprise? Well, I hadn't thought about this at all, so this is really off the top of That's my head. That's why I asked you. Yeah, and I just skimmed through the th- all the divisions kind of right. as you were talking there. And only one has actually come to mind there. Oh, and now I got a second one. Uh, Give me both. Who cares? Yeah. Okay, so the first one that came to mind... And so at first you asked that nothing came to mind. And I had to go through a few divisions before I found anything even remotely. Right. Because, I mean... I, I, I'd like to say Tennessee, but, I mean, they made the AFC Championship game. They're so you not can't surprising anybody. Yeah. Uh, the first one that came to mind is the New York Giants. Uh, mm-hmm. Who could win that division this year? Because this whole Dallas hype train is way out of control. <laughs> To an extreme degree, especially with McCarthy there. I, you know, you, by all rights, you should hate McCarthy more than I do, but you don't for some reason. I just, I, hey, listen, I just don't believe 13 it. years in Green Bay, he got us 125 wins. He got us to four NFC championship games and he got us to the one and only Super Bowl he won. So, um, I think that there are some franchises in the National Football League that would take that. And maybe Jerry Jones obviously is one of them. All, well, that's because they like having sleepovers together. Well, but regardless different. of that, I mean, McCarthy was, you know, I, you know this as well as I, I've been pissed off at McCarthy since the, since the 2014 oh, NFC yeah, Championship game against Seattle. Terrible. I've been pissed off at McCarthy since then. But again, he is the second, after Coach, Lomb- after Coach Lombardi, he is the second in Green Bay Packers history for all-time wins. So 
The guy did something right. He lasted 13 years. And maybe he wouldn't have lasted 13 years if you wouldn't have had uh, the ownership set up like they do in Green Bay. If you would have had a singular owner, I think you know he would have been fired after the 2014 meltdown yeah. at the NFC Championship game. But because they have that unique Saskatchewan Rough Riders-like ownership set up, he was probably given a little bit more leeway. But... Um, you know, and of those 13 years in Green Bay, he won, I think right off the top of my head, eight NFC Central Division Championships. So well, uh, he did okay. Well, number one, I think all those numbers you said should have been higher with Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre there. No question. Um, uh, number two. You've heard me say how many times that one of the most disappointing things is to have 27 yes. years of Favre and Rodgers as your quarterbacks, and you've only been to three Super Bowls. Two for Favre and one for Rodgers. Yeah. That's bullshit right there. Yeah, exactly. The number should have been higher. Number two, the exact opposite of the Green Bay Packers ownership structure is having one massive dictator in Jerry Jones there. Now, the thing that takes the edge off, of course, is that Jerry Jones falls in love with his coaches and his GMs and... Well, he doesn't really Jason Garrett shouldn't have been the coach in Dallas more than four years. Exactly. He falls in love with guys, and so then they can stay there for a long time, so that might help McCarthy's case. But anyway, uh, I was talking about the Giants... Look, we get a healthy Saquon. Daniel Jones doesn't fumble as much. You have a great receiving core. Golden Tate's still productive along with Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton, who I think is going to be their number one guy. Uh, there's a lot going on there. The O-line's been kind of shored up. Uh, they've they've got some stuff there, and it's a weak division. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the New York Giants could really surprise some people there. I like that pick. I really do. Yeah. I think that's a hell of a good pick, but I'm going to surprise the shit out of you right here. Okay, maybe you know what? You say your other one because I've got the second one I thought of. And I'm surprised that nobody is... I, I just assumed everyone would think my second one was going to be good this year, but apparently they don't. And I think that's really surprising based on how uh, the end of last year went. So who's your other one? My one and only surprise team that I think is going to surprise a lot of people this year is the Arizona Cardinals. Oh, that's not my other one. Okay, go ahead. And the reason I'm going with that is because we saw an unbelievable jump from year one to year two. And remember, Kyler Murray... Unlike Patrick Mahomes, who also worked under current Cardinals coach, the hell's his name, uh, Cliff Kingsbury, they worked together at Texas Tech. And I think that Kyler Murray is working under the same kind of offense with Cliff Kingsbury now in Arizona. And whereas in his first year, Mahomes only played, I believe, the last game of the year as the starter, Kyler Murray took almost every snap last year as the quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals. I think... Kyler Murray coming into his second year under this system with a guy that absolutely loves him. There's nothing that Kyler Murray could do that obviously, to me, looks like he'd get Cliff Kingsbury pissed off. You've got an improved defense. They just gave a big contract to a safety, and I can't remember his name right off the top of my head, but uh, I think that they're better than we think on defense. And remember, yes, they're playing in a tough division, obviously with the Seahawks, Rams, and 49ers, but they still will be playing a fourth-place schedule. So I'm not saying they're going to the playoffs. I'm not saying that they're going to the, anything you know, beyond you know, getting through the 16 or 17 games of the regular season now. But I think a team that might surprise some people and might... Remember, you're adding a couple of playoff teams this year too. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you could get... If you're the Arizona Cardinals and you could get to nine wins, eight or nine wins, I think they could get one of those extra wild-card spots. That's all I'm saying. 
Interesting. Uh, you know, I, I do so much research with fantasy football more than the regular stuff. I'm about to get into my betting research finally. But the thing is, Arizona is such a darling for fantasy because, I mean, for example, there's a clear top six quarterbacks in fantasy and Kyler Murray's the only one of them who hasn't really done a whole lot. And DeAndre I mean, a, Hopkins is going to help. And Hopkins is there and Kenyon Drake finished the year strong. And then there's a lot to like there from a fantasy point of view. And Christian Kirk is a real good late round uh, pickup potentially as well. Larry's still there for another year as well. Boom. And then on defense, yeah, you talked about the signing of Buda Baker. Who's, That's it. Who's, who's been fantastic. And then, of course, you still have Patrick Peterson. You still have Chandler Jones. Yep. And so there's a lot there to like. So I never even thought of them as a surprise. I think a lot of people are assuming they're going to be good, which is a, is a double-edged sword there, I think. But uh, yeah, I could absolutely see them being what you said. The other team I thought of is the Miami Dolphins. Mm. I mean... Brian Flores, like what he went five of the last six, including the right. Patriots in right. New England. Right, they looked really good, and they didn't have much to work with. Now all of a sudden, they go out and spend a bunch of money. They get Byron Jones from Dallas. Who, speaking of why Dallas isn't going to be as good as as lately, you take uh, you take number one cornerbacks for granted. I mean, you take Stephon Gilmore away from the Patriots, they're not going to be as good if that happens, right? Whereas you take away Byron Jones from the uh, Cowboys, he's been an unsung hero back there for a long time as a shutdown corner. Now he's in Miami. Now that frees up Xavier Howard to be like a number two corner who he should really excel in that role. You've got, oh man, you've got a, uh, you've got Jordan Howard to take those early down roles with Matt Breida, who two years in the row has had the fastest touchdown in terms of running speed uh, in the NFL. Very, very fast guy. You've got uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's still a good last year, along with Tua, yep. who's the future. You've got Devontae Parker and Preston Williams, who both looked like the real deal last year. Uh, there's a lot to like here. And that Brian Flores, I don't think I've been that impressed with a coach in a long time. And see, that's what I—that's the last point I was actually going to make about the uh, whole Rooney rule and everything. You don't want, if, if you're somebody who cares, white or black or whatever you are, if you want, you know, all races and minorities to succeed and everyone to have true equality, the best way to do that is by everyone being successful, you know, regardless of the uh, the color of their skin and more by the content of their character, right? right? Uh, so Brian Flores came in, and I don't care what color he is. That's a scary man that I don't want to go up against, right? And I want him coaching my team. And that's what you want. You hire some guy who's not the best and does a bad job. Yeah. That That's just counterproductive to to the interests of minority candidates. Agreed. Right? And so you want these guys coming in there. They, they, they win the job because they're the best candidate, and they kick ass. And... You know what? I mean, I've only seen a very small amount from him. I would have a hard time picking any coach in the NFL right now over blind Flores. If I got to have anybody, I mean, it's easy to say Belichick or something, but especially if you factor in I'm, age and everything, I don't know if there's anybody I would rather have uh, than Brian Flores right now. That's who I want coaching my team. I don't know. I, I'm shocked that people are just writing off the Dolphins. You know that one guy bet like 200 grand on the Patriots to beat the Dolphins in Week 17 last year, right, and they right, right. and lost because it made no sense. And now they're facing each other again in Week One. It's Miami at New England again, right. and everyone's yep. like, "Oh, Miami's going to get their ass kicked again." No, Why? They're, they're even better than last year, and the Patriots are worse than last year. What are you guys talking about? Yeah, Brian Absolutely. Flores is the real deal, and that's who you want. And you don't need the Rooney Rule. You need guys like Brian Flores. Is what you need. Great point, and I agree with everything you just said, so that tells me it's time to put a wrap on this 536th episode of Unscripted. Good to get our feet wet again since we hadn't done this since the end of July, so 
Um, it took a while to get the cobwebs. I got to be honest with you. It took a little bit to get the cobwebs out. As you'll see in early stages of 535, my lips weren't working very good. But uh, good to be back. Good to uh, be able to talk like this again. And uh, I will do what I can. Um, I'll keep you in the loop. But uh, we will try like hell to uh, get together at Chris's place next Saturday and go through the remaining Sunday and Monday picks of what should be a very interesting week number one of the, I think, the 102nd season of the National Football League. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.